Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, May 19th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 64, the third paragraph beginning with Resentment is the Number One Offender. Today's readers are as follows. Reading the 12 Steps will be Anne Marie. Reading the 12 Traditions will be Sarah W. And reading the text will be Larry, Sharon H., and Susie K. The share ID for Sunday, May 18th, is 6365. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne-Marie to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning. This is Anne Marie, compulsive overeater. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah W. I'm a grateful, compulsive overeater. The 
one, our common recovery should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous has, should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, and the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 64, the third paragraph beginning with Resentment is the number one offender. I will now ask Larry to get us started. Good morning, Rebecca. Um, thanks for your service. Larry, recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. <clears throat> Excuse me. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. 
In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Okay, so I uh, this paragraph is uh, is powerful. You know, we're we're um, we're embarking on uh, step four, a fact finding and fact facing process, which is absolutely essential. And you know, it talks about resentment as the number one offender. And if if we look at the word resentment, you know, this is defined um, as a feeling of indignant displeasure or persistent ill will at something regarded as a wrong, insult, or injury. So, you know, resentment is kind of is 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 the the mental process of repetitively replaying a feeling, and all the events leading up to it that you know that 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 sort of goad us, uh, goad or anger us. And so we 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 don't you know for me we don't so much replay like a you know a, these facts, you know in a in a calm way in in, in resentment we we experience and relive them in ways that affect you know, it's emotionally, uh, you know, physically and spiritually in very destructive ways. And that was the case for me. So resentment was the number one offender we, because, you know, we look at the word resentment, you know, it's, 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 it's close to re-sentiment. And sentiment means feeling. And re, of course, is again. So resentment is literally feeling again over and over and over. And that's what I did. And this, this really got to the heart of resentment for me is, you know, recycling <clears throat> old negative feelings, revisiting old wrongs done to us by others. You know, the other person, um, you know, they didn't, they moved on with their their lives, perhaps, you know. But I replayed these scenes countless times each day and relived them. And as I did so, you know, the the, the, the wrongs, real or otherwise, grew worse. You know, and, and the wrongs that were, are merely imagined, you know, assume a life of their own. So this this extracted a tremendous cost for me, and that's why it was the number one offender. You know, I like where it says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. That indeed was the case for me. You know, um, I thought my problem was with food and fat, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful I didn't wake up in a food fog this morning. I, I you know, I, I remember what that feels like. It's been a long, long time, but I remember what it feels like. And I'll guarantee you there's someone on the phone that knows very intimately what that feels like this morning. Um, but it, were, it was, I didn't see the tie-in between my grosser handicap, starting with resentments and then moving on to fears and, you know, and, and, and sexual um, conduct and harms done to others. I didn't know that those were the things <clears throat> that kept me prisoner stuck in the quicksand. And, you know, I, I, um, when I shared about resentment on a, on a Sunday special edition, I read something I'm going to read again this morning. Um, and then I'd like to hear what other people have to say, because it really carries the essence of resentment for me. And it says, and I quote, the moment you start to resent the person, you become his slave. He controls your dreams, absorbs your digestion, robs you of your peace of mind and goodwill. <clears throat> and takes away the pleasure of your work. He ruins your religion and nullifies your prayers. You cannot take a vacation without his going along. He destroys your freedom of mind and hounds you wherever you go. 
There's no way to escape the person you resent. He's with you when you are awake. He invades your privacy when you sleep. He's close beside you when you drive your car and when you're on your job. You can never have efficiency or happiness. He influences even the tone of your voice. He requires you to take medicine for indigestion, headaches, and loss of energy. He even steals your last moment of consciousness before you go to sleep. So if you want to be a slave, harbor your resentments. And that that really captures it for me and why it was the number one offender. I I do things differently with with resentments today, but um, we know with resentments, uh, as it says, in most cases it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships were hurt or threatened. And so I had to get these down on paper. I had to be thorough and fearless in examining these and looking for those patterns that kept me stuck in the quicksand. Otherwise, you know, I'd be up this morning in, a, in just another food, uh, food fog, another, another Groundhog Day. Anyways, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who would like to share on this paragraph? I didn't catch the person. Lorna. Katie from Boston. Lorna. I heard Lauren S. and Katie. Was there someone else? Okay, Lauren S. Okay. Hi, everybody. Lauren S., as in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right, resentment. So where I am right now, guys, is um, we work through the book doing a workshop in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, I live my day in 10, 11, and 12, and right now we're we're going, I'm in step four, going through this workshop, bringing in more resentments relating to where I'm still trying to run the show. And again, this paragraph just reminds me, okay, I hear some people say this is two parts, and that's okay too. I, I'm just telling you, I was taught that I have a three-part disease. And yeah, maybe this is just semantics, but this paragraph is where I was taught, yes, Lauren, I'm cured of the allergy today, okay? I'm cured of the mental obsession today. I am recovered. I do not obsess about trying to control and enjoy my eating. However, I'm not cured from being a compulsive overeater because I have this third part, which is the spiritual malady and a promise. This big book offers me a promise that when I'm spiritually fit, when I'm not restless, irritable, and discontent, I won't have that obsession to pick up and I won't be triggering my allergy to pick up but I won't be cured of my spiritual malady so I have to be doing this work every day and I just how much time I have in abstinence which is for me it's a significant amount of time does not keep me clean tomorrow and I have to be taking stock honestly of my resentments thoroughly constantly and 
there are seven areas of myself that are affected by every resentment. They, you know what, I don't want to jump the gun because it's going to talk about how dangerous resentments are in the following paragraphs. Thank you very much. With that, I will pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Katie from Boston. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. Katie G. Recovered for today, compulsive overeater. Grateful to be here on the line. And where are we? We're on step nine, step nine, step four, um, and we are making our list, right? So I got to this part of my my fourth step, and my sponsor gave me my first instructions, was simply to write down the people, institutions, and principles with whom I was angry. Um, and for me, that wasn't hard to access. Um, I was a pretty angry person. I used to walk around um, college saying, I hate everyone, and my friends would look at me, and I'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. You don't count as a person. And um, what I learned is that resentment, you know, you know it's, I'm burned up. Like, it's, it's, it's eating me for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, the fact that I can tell you, like, one of the first people on my list was this woman woman, girl, who at age in fourth grade had told me that only explicatives swear, you know, that she had that she had wronged me. And I could tell you her first name, her last name, I could tell you when she said it, I could tell you how she said it, and what does it affect? It affects my self-esteem, how I think about myself. So this girl told me that only explicatives swear, and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm a bad person because she's saying that to me. My pocketbooks, it didn't affect. My ambition, well, if she's saying this to me, what's going to happen to me in my future? And my personal relations, well, I started going around everybody and talking to people, and, and I was agitated, so I bring the agitation to them. Um, and I was, I, was, um, I was hurt and I was threatened. But the problem is, I could remember her name at age 30 when I was still first doing this, right? So other people don't get so obsessive. And I found that, um, you know, resentments were just my judgment, that mental tirade of, oh, well, they're fat, they're married, they have, you know, blonde hair, they have a boyfriend, they don't have a boyfriend, they're looking at me that, like, I constantly turned my finger at other people and I judged them, I found them guilty, and then I was replaying it in my head. And the worst thing about resentments is if I had a resentment against you, forget your mom, forget your friends. If I'm talking to someone and I find out that they, you know, like that person, well, I don't want to be friends with them either. So do you hear how it seeps in? It's the number one offender. It's seeping into every area of my life. And I am suddenly this huge person with a chip on my shoulder, and I didn't even realize it. I was the one treating people poorly. It was my perception. And that's the problem, and that is the point of this fourth step, to see what is my perception. And, Katie, your perception is wrong. And thank God I can do these turnarounds today because, you know what, I'm not entirely free. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of my problem. Thank God I'm asking today, and I still have the privilege of doing these turnarounds. I had a resentment at someone who had a brain tumor on Friday, you know, and I could call someone and I could laugh at myself for being so spiritually sick that I'm going to resent someone who's physically incapable of, of, of having certain responses when I'm working with them. Like, I don't have to take it out on them. I don't have to control other people. I can pray to God. I can say, God, help me be patient, tolerant, kind, kind and loving. But I'll just close with this. The worst thing I thought when I came in here is, 
oh, resentment's the number one offender. Okay, I don't have any resentments. I'm fine. I'll tell you what, that's going to give you an ulcer, a, a brain tumor. It's going to hurt you. At least it hurt me. It may not hurt you. But I could not wish these or will them any more, away any more than alcohol. You know, I had, I had to do the work. I had to actually write them down on paper and follow the instructions from my sponsor so that I could be free. And what a privilege it is to be free and to know the craziness of my thinking and to know that I don't have to be a slave to that. And I have a happy, joyous, and free life today because I'm able to see how wrong I am. You know, am I willing to question daily my willingness to be willing? And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie G. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Kim. Paula. Kim and Paula. Anyone else? Sarah W. Dana. Sarah W. And who else? Dana. Dana. Okay. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. You know, that, that is so key as we understand that we have this spiritual malady. You know, I think one of the things, I think, I know one of the things that confused me is we heard so, I heard so much in the rooms about this three-legged stool, this three-legged stool of spiritual, emotional, and physical and that I had to attack all three of them as if they were equal. And so some days, some days I'd work the physical part, some days I'd work the emotional part, some days I'd work the spiritual part. And what this is actually telling us is that we have a spiritual malady. There is no spiritual part of the 12-step program. The whole entire program is spiritual. We put down what our substance is in step one. It dies. And then the rest of the steps are trying to get us connected with that higher power because that's our problem. We are disconnected from our higher power. And I think what I heard in the rooms and what I interpreted was, was if I straightened out physically, then I would overcome the mental and the spiritual. Because the focus was all on if I can get abstinent, then my emotions will get in check and then I will have this connection with God. So really it was almost like a like a two-step program, like put the food down and you'll be okay, you know, emotionally and spiritually. And, and I have to realize that if that's your experience and it works, great. I have to tell you that wasn't my experience. My experience is when I put down the food, my spiritual malady, that mental obsession, oh, my goodness, it was on me, like right on white, right on right. When I put down the food, my emotions went nuts. Those, those um, bedevilments would be on page 52. They were stronger when I was sober and abstinent than when they were when I was in the food. When I was in the food, I was numb. So at page 64, when they're telling us we're getting down to causes and conditions, they're letting us know that we have a spiritual malady. And that's what the 12 steps are for. The 12 steps help us get that connection with the higher power. So I kind of think of it this way. I have high blood sugar. My, I'm starting to drink a lot. I have all these symptoms. And when I go to the doctor and they look at all those symptoms, they tell me my diagnosis is I am a diabetic. That's what my diagnosis is. But it manifests by me having high blood sugar, it manifests in me drinking a lot, and whatever other, all those other symptoms are. So that's what this is telling me. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So our... our our disease is a spiritual disconnection with God. And how does it manifest? Through this physical allergy and this mental obsession. So how do I overcome that? Through the steps. 
And they're letting us know here, the number one offender, it destroys your alcoholics. It doesn't bother alcoholics. It doesn't get in the way of them having some happiness. It will destroy us. And if we don't get rid of the, the resentments, if we don't take this, this, this um, inventory process of four through nine, we are never going to get that connection with God. Did I believe in God? Absolutely. Did I have access to that half, that higher power? Absolutely not. So the 12 steps, how I overcome the spiritual malady is by working the steps and I'm going to have access to that power. And when I have access to that power, the mental obsession will be removed. And when the mental obsession is removed, I will not want the food. And if I don't want the food, I'm not going to pick up the food. And if I don't pick up the food, I'm not going to trigger the allergy. And if I don't trigger the allergy, I'm not going to be in the doctor's opinion vicious cycle. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Paula? This is Paula. Thank you. This be Paula Recovered in New Hampshire, Paula D. You know, I want to look at that word because this is how it encompasses and how it encompassed my life from its stem. And we look at its stem as the principal body of a tree. So was this it? Was this the principal part of my life, resentment and anger? And it goes on. All forms. All forms. Not some. Maybe it won't touch your life here. Maybe not with your child. Maybe not with your spouse. Maybe not at your job. Maybe not at how you see, hear, think. Oh, no, maybe. It does. Of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. Honey, that's the combination. Everywhere, everything, it touches it doesn't leave out how I thought, how I felt, how I believed. You know, this, this resentment, and there's a poem, and I'm not going to go into the whole length of it because it was beautifully that was shared, but it takes you farther than you want to go. I didn't think the resentment would take me that far. Oh, it did much farther than I thought. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. no. At the end of the day, it'll go away. Well, maybe I'm in a joy, joyful place. No, it comes with you because it's part of you. And it will cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. I never thought the price was so high, but high it was. Kept me where I was. I could not move out of that place. But then, ah, uh, when, when the spiritual malady is overcome, that's it. Then we straighten out mentally and physically. We come together. We come together mentally, physically, and spiritually. But I'm just going to go on just for one line. We asked ourselves why were we angry. And I always knew it was you. That's why I was angry. It was a person, place, or thing. didn't matter which. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambition, our personal relations, including sex, were hurt or threatened. Sounds like fear at work here. So we were sore. We were burned up. And there it is. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Sarah W.? 
Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. This is Sarah W., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. Uh, so much has been shared already. Um, I, I want to just bring us back to a couple of paragraphs up where it says, the raw decision, which was obviously step three, was a vital, crucial step. It could have little permanent effect unless at once it was followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves that had been blocking us. Um, so we had to get down to the causes and conditions. So I know so many people. I've, I've taken a lot of fifth steps and done a lot of fourth steps. Um, and, and so many people are so afraid of this, but there's so much freedom in this. Um, just, you know, it's, it's like the weight of the world has been on your shoulders, and what you, you find out is that you're human and that you see that other people are human too. But the idea when I'm having a resentment, even today, you know, and I've heard this in the rooms for many years, is that, you know, it's like us thinking that we're giving someone else poison, but we're taking it ourselves. And that, to me, has stuck with me for so many years because um, I set myself apart from the world. And I say, first of all, that I'm better than somebody. And second of all, I'm saying that someone is less than me. So I no longer am part of the human race because we all have our fallibilities. And, you know, what we find out later on is that we're all sick, you know, that everybody has, whether it be spiritual sickness or mental sickness or something is wrong somewhere. You know, we all have these these little imperfections in us. And I know, like, in my personal relationships, the reality is that when I have some kind of a wall that goes up, that's because I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt. And people do that in life. And what I did was, when I saw that wall come up with somebody, or when somebody said something, my wall came up. And that's where somehow this resentment comes up. And it's finally realizing that I am no better and no less than I get to learn to be right-sized. And that's what the process of the steps finally allows me to do. Not only have this connection, true connection with a higher power, but I finally have a connection with other people and myself. Because not only do I have issues, but I realize other people do also. And then I can have an an acceptance. And you know what? It's the cheapest deal in town. This is like, you know, you you find your purpose in life. You find that you can feel peaceful and joyful in life. And that you learn how to live life on life's terms and have some sense of serenity. What better deal is there? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Dana? Um, yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dana. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. And the um, the phrase that uh, resentment is the number one offender, I remember... Um, that being one of the key phrases I I ever heard when I got involved with AA and Al-Anon and 
then many years later, OA, we set the number one offender. It does rob us, I think, of our spirituality. Uh, I like to concentrate on how I can counter resentment. Um, I guess we can keep it uh, accept as a given that this is something we have. And what helps me a lot is to think of um, the antidote to resentment being um, acceptance, tolerance, gratitude. Resentment, um, it's just something that kind of gnaws away at a person. And uh, it can certainly lead to some destructive behavior. When I wake up in the morning, I like to put my focus on God and how God wants me to be. And sometimes I just can't help but have the feeling of resentment or jealousy or whatever come in. But it is it is just a feeling. And I don't have to act on it. Um, one of the dangers, I think, of resentment is that it can lead to uh, some really unpleasant things like uh, confrontation or anger. Uh, bitterness, jealousy. Um, we who are overeat, compulsive overeaters tend to be people pleasers. And uh, that's a self-defeating kind of thing. Um, but we have to break out of these things and think of how we can serve others and how we can avoid uh, the the uh, unpleasant and harsh activities that come with resentment, like judgment, bitterness, overeating, drinking, whatever. So um, developing an attitude of uh, gratitude, <laughs> attitude of gratitude, there it is, um, really helps me keep focused and positive. And, uh, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Dana. Why don't we move on to the next paragraph with Sharon H. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. Can you hear me? Yes, Sharon. Okay, thank you. This is uh, Sharon H. Um, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Uh, on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example. Uh, so these two paragraphs now are the first 60, <clears throat> what is it, about the 60 First 63 pages let me know how doomed I am by this disease, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And then um, what this paragraph here starts showing me 
why we must do this, what is the next step to take, and we must take it if we want to get well. So resentment's the number one offender. It will destroy us. And what is it rooted in? It stems from a spiritual disease. That's the root cause. And so we have to get to that root cause in order to know that then we will, by God's grace, be straightened out mentally and physically. Um, And so this is how it begins. This is a textbook. I've heard that over and over again in this uh, in these meetings, and I'm so grateful for that because I, I want to always expand and go on, and I just have to stick with the facts because I have a mind that can get carried away real quickly on other things and, and lose sight of what I really need to do. So it just shows so clearly how we do this. And so first we list whoever it is, whatever place or situation, and what it's causing me, you know, who's, why is this resentment coming up? And, um, and then what does it affect in me? And uh, self-esteem for me is always rooted in self-centered fear. That's what I see because I believe, you know, it's totally up to me to make my life work and it's not working. And so I'm easily hurt. I'm easily offended. I'm easily this. I don't know how to get along with people. And then the security, um, security for me and then the relations is it affects my relationship with that person that I'm ticked off at. It affects my relationship with myself because I keep just uh, reliving this, uh, you know, little scenario in my mind like a little soap opera going on in my head. And then it affects my relationship with this higher power. That's the spiritual disease. That's the spiritual element there. And, uh, of course, pocketbook, um, if I'm not wise and discerning because I don't have that, that ability without a spiritual solution, uh, I'm going to be um, possibly giving money to people when it isn't the right thing to do. And I've certainly done that uh, over the years. Or I've expected people to take care of me, you know, so then that sets up another resentment. So what I see here on this grudge list is it's the beginning of us being able to see the truth about ourselves and how this um, disease will just rob us and destroy us. And thank goodness if that was all we knew, we would be in total despair. But this is the beginning of fact-finding, fact-facing solution to get to the other side of this so that we can be set free, that we can learn how to live without these uh, crushing uh, resentments that just flare up in a, in, you know, just so quickly. They're obsession of the mind. They're the obsession of the mind, whether it's with food or whether it's with uh, people, places, and things. That's my mind that was obsessed about all those things. And it was because I didn't know how to live a, a, a life that was rooted in um, a spiritual solution. So I like the way that they make this very clear. They don't go into, you know, it's very fact-finding. So these uh, examples are very just fact-finding, state the facts. and don't have to go into a big um, story about everything. Just state the facts so that you can see them for what they are, see what they affect in you, 
and that's the beginning of, of um, the next step that will be taken when we take that situation completely out of the picture and we see where we're coming from and the damage that we have done as a result. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Sharon H. This is Rebecca, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'd like to share on what we've read today. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, where else in the world could a person like me, a fairly simple-minded individual who spent my whole life focused on food and weight, learn these basic instructions of a better way to live my life. We're not talking about diet here, uh, what I put in my mouth anymore. We're talking about instructions for a new way of living where I get to find out that self manifested in various ways, one of which is resentment, is what was defeating me. I didn't know that. I thought everybody else was defeating me. And to discover that, like it says in the serenity prayer, I can look at my part and what I can do, what I can change, and I can treat it just like a business taking an inventory. I don't have to lay on the analyst's couch and dig back and go through rebirthing and um, whatever other method I might be able to treat a spiritual malady, I simply just have to follow these clear-cut directions by writing some simple thoughts down on paper and following the directions exactly as they're outlined in the book and then sharing it with someone else and, you know, and God and myself and et cetera, et cetera, just follow the steps. And the truth comes out and sets me free because I become unblocked from the sunlight of the spirit. I become in, um, con- uh, have a connection with God and in communion with God. And the things that used to bother me turn out to be smoke and mirrors. They turn out to be some construct that I've conjured up in my head to put myself down that I then had to eat over. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Sally. Go ahead, Sally. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning. A vision for you. It's Sally, recovered in South Jersey. So on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. And, uh, you know, I think about that word grudge because I had a lot of grudges. I had 98, in fact, uh, when I went to do my uh, inventory. And um, I wanted to just share page 90 of the 12 and 12, the AA 12 and 12, where it says, few people have been more victimized by resentments than have we as alcoholics. It matters little whether our resentments were justified or not. A burst of temper could spoil a day, and a well-nursed grudge could make us miserably ineffective. A well-nursed grudge. 
And that's what I was doing. I was literally nursing my grudges. I was nursing them not with drink, but I was nursing them with nonstop binging. I was fueling my grudges. It goes on to say, as we saw it, our wrath was always justified. Anger, that occasional luxury of more balanced people, could keep us on an emotional jag indefinitely. These emotional dry benders often led straight to the bottle. Other kinds of disturbances, jealousy, envy, self-pity, or hurt pride did the same thing. Hurt pride, oh, my pride was always hurt. And you know, the beauty of this, this inventory that we're taking, the inventory that I took was so freeing because it forced me to take my eyes off the other person and continually, uh, like laser eyes, be boring down and nursing these grudges and looking at their side of the street. And now I could finally turn my eyes on me. I could look at the man in the mirror, me. I could take stock of what was my part. What part did I play? Because I always had a part to play. Always. It was just every single one of them. I had my part, whether it was selfishness, whether it was my self-seeking, whether it was my dishonesty about the undercurrent of motive, or whether it was my fear that fed into it. I always had my part to play, my grudge. Thanks for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Sally. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Elaine. This is Katie F. Elaine, and then Katie F. Go ahead, Elaine. Thank you so much. Um, I heard on a, oh, this is Elaine, a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Very grateful to be on the line, and thank you for your service, Rebecca. Um, I remember hearing in a teaching about doing the four step that it's like taking the trash can that is your life, dumping it out, <laughs> picking out the few things that are worth keeping, cleaning out the trash can, and then uh, maintaining the practice, you know, after that you maintain the practice of keeping it clean. And I absolutely love the simplicity of this, uh, these steps. However, me, being a perfectionist full of pride and <laughs> complication at times, with God's help, he's helping me identify those things. I didn't know it at the time. I took fearless and thorough right from the very start to the extreme, thinking, you know, boy, I'm going to win. I'm going to search back. And any single person in the entire world that I couldn't look square at the eye and feel at peace in my heart with, whether it was that kindergarten teacher who didn't teach me how to, you know, tell time or whatever, um, I had to hunt, I had to look, I, I was searching, I was looking in the nooks and crevices and ended up with like over 500 resentments and did turnarounds for six years and got back into the food during that time. And as I really look at this, it's like, if this is my grudge list. This is, this is the stuff I'm carrying around with me. This is the trash can I love with me everywhere that I go. This is the stuff that pops up when that person calls me or I see that person at work. This isn't, you know, so anyway, not to say that there aren't things in your past that need to be on that list, but um, 
when I was able to do this work, just looking at what is really bugging me, what am I carrying around, what am I reacting to today, what am I eating over today, even though it may be echoes from the past, um, I was able to get through this work so much more quickly and experience a spiritual awakening that was sufficient to bring about recovery, you know. I have a completely different relationship with food than I did this time last year. And I know that that's available for everybody out there. And so this time with God's help, God led me right back to the program, right back to the process, because this is the solution, you know. And um, so I'm just grateful for the simplicity of that of just putting down where are my grudges, what's the stuff I'm really carrying, and uh, what's the stuff that's eating me. And with God's help, if I pray every time I do this, God will bring up every single name, every single principle, every single institution that needs to be on my list because I just turned my will and my life over to the care of God. And I realized that as I was being fearless and thorough, I was still in self-will run riot. I want to have more resentment than anybody. I don't want to ever, you know, whatever. What I was able to do was learn the principles of this, learn my character defects, learn how to turn resentments around as they come up. And so I cannot, I cannot, first of all, thank God enough for this, pro, pro, this process because it shows me how to stay clear. It's opened up relationships with people. I am not afraid of people. It's completely different. Everything, my relationship with food is different. My relationship with God is different. And my relationship with every person in the world is different. So if you're looking to do this and you're afraid, oh, I encourage you just keep going. Just write your list. And um, that's it. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Katie F.? Good morning. This is Katie up a recovery compulsive overeater in Virginia. And, you know, it's when I first did this and, and even when I think about it now, it's like I can't change my past. I can't change the fact that, you know, I, I uh, was seven years old and my father left and I only saw him once or twice a year for, you know, the rest of my life. Um, you know, so I used to think about this and I thought, well, what good is it going to do for me to write this stuff down because I can't change anything? And, you know, I didn't realize and, and now, you know, um, I accept that I am not God. And so that's why it's, it's so important to not do this fourth step until after you've taken the third step and taken, you know, gone through one, two, and three, where you admitted your powerlessness and that you have a need for God and you are not God. Because I always wanted to be the judge and the jury. And so I thought if I let them go, if I let go of my resentments towards these people that had, you know, just clearly wronged me, um, that I was saying that it was okay and that I was saying that it didn't happen. And that's not what it's, that's not what we're called to do here, you know, and today, you know, thank God I am free of resentments. I accept other human beings as being just that, other human beings with their own struggles and their own imperfections and that maybe they didn't intentionally do anything to hurt me. And mostly I accept the fact that my being resentful is only hurting me. You know, they moved on years ago in some cases, 
years and years and years, or they never even had a clue that they hurt me. And so what it's doing absolutely no good for me to carry that around. But I tell you, some of this stuff, it was like, you know, so embedded in my person that it was like, you know, feeling I'm stripped naked and then I still haven't taken it off. You know, that really I've got this baggage just totally covering me and I think that I am being completely transparent. So it took a lot of time and a lot of prayer and a lot of, um, you know, soul search to admit that I was dragging around a ball and chain with me wherever I went and that I used that as my excuse for why I kept having to pick the food back up. Because if you had my life, you'd eat too. You know, well, you don't understand. You don't understand how hard it is for me. You know, you don't understand how, you know, this happened and that happened and I couldn't help myself. I just, you know, I just had to say that because I'm this kind of person and, you know, I was just full of excuses and full of um, of reasons of why I have to go back to the food or why I have to stay restless, irritable, and discontent. And these steps are written in the perfect order that you can basically, you know, now I've done the steps, but I wake up every morning and I look at myself and say, God, I am not well. On my own, I cannot do this thing. I can't do this thing called life on my own. I need your help. And every day I have to ask for God to intervene to put, you know, my hand over my mouth and the cotton out of my ears so I can, um, and the blinders off my eyes, so I can walk around a free person. And I do. I walk around a free person. I don't, you know, uh, wish that I could eat other people's food and I don't carry around resentment. You know, am I never resentful? No. But I can quickly turn them around. And I didn't know how to do that before because whatever I did, I was still holding on to those resentments from my past. And so a thorough house cleaning, you know, means just that. You know, if you clean your refrigerator and you leave all the moldy, gross stuff in there, it doesn't matter how much bleach you use, eventually the bleach smell is going to wear off. And if you still have that gross food in there, it's going to be gross. And that's the way it was for me until I clearly plucked out those things that I resented and completely, um, you know, stopped playing God of thinking that I had to be the judge and jury of other people's actions. I could not stay stopped. And I'm just so grateful today to have a solution that works. It doesn't matter how far down you've gone. It doesn't matter how long you've been trying this. It doesn't matter. You can start today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share? Lois. Leah. You know what? It's five minutes before the hour. Why don't we go a little over with Lois and Leah, and then we'll wrap up. Go ahead, Lois. Well, thank you. I'll be very brief. Excuse me. Uh, Lois, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Um, Well, this brings me back to, to when I was in my disease. And, and what, what, what happened for me was I wanted to feel better. 
You know, I was restless, irritable, and discontent, and my head was full of resentments. You know, I had totally changed. The disease had totally, you know, taken over my personality, and I wanted to feel better, and I didn't know how to do it no matter what I did. The food wasn't doing it for me anymore. No matter, nothing was doing it for me anymore. It was either recovery or the mental institution for me. And I, luckily, a, a friend led me to, to um, recovery, and I learned, I read the big book, I heard what was going on with me, and I was able to identify in because of uh, other compulsive overeaters sharing, they were feeling the same thing. And so they told me that this book was written by alcoholics, for alcoholics, to help them to recover from a seemingly hopeless, hopeless state of body and mind. And I was lucky enough to hear that, and I was desperate enough to try it, and um, it worked for me, and it'll work for you. So I'll just pass on, and thank you very much. Thank you, Lois. Leah? Thank you so much, uh, Rebecca. It's Leah M. Make this brief on our grudge list. We set opposite each name our injuries. You know, so step four is really the first uh, step where I was able to begin to see the real truth for the first time, um, examining the kind of personality I had developed through my years of living a life run on self-will. You know, it was it was a very clear-cut uh, way of examining how what is my thinking you know i was stunned at what it had revealed despite you know years in in uh you know psychology and sitting with psychiatrists and therapy etc although i had not been conscious of it i had a world vision that placed me at the center with the world and everybody around me all my relationships kind of uh, revolving around me, and that self-centered thinking of mine had given me these emotional twists which had discolored my personality and altered my relationships and my life for the worse. So, um, you know, here it was very clear, was it my self-esteem, security, ambitions, personal sex, sex relations? Again, this step four was allowing me to start taking responsibility for my own thinking and for my own behavior because I could no longer afford to blame these things on other people because if I continued to do that, then I continued to let other people control the way I think and the way I acted and the way, you know, it would just continue to control my life. So it was a wonderful opportunity to start changing my perception and my attitude with the application of these steps. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Okay, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Susie Kay please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Susie Kay? Larry, are you still on the line? Rebecca, this is Melanie. I can do that. Thank you, Melanie. 
Melanie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Oregon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.